Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. All right. Hi, everybody. It's Dr. B. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about ADHD and learning differences. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me, jump over to my website at drbconnections.com. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning, Dr. B. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Love that it's spring weather and oh, getting goodness. beautiful out. Yes. So. This, earlier this week, it was it was just kind of, oh, I don't know. It was just every, every change of season, maybe this sounds a little hippy-dippy, but I just like... <laughs> I just speak out loud like, hey, I've missed you. Welcome back. Yeah. Like this feels nice. really good. And there's like there's that is good. That sort of like anticipation in the air, new growth, new life. Uh the smell, yeah. oh my goodness, the smell just invigorates the soul. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. One hundred percent. And especially yes, with COVID. Welcome. Oh. <laughs> don't we don't we just appreciate so many things about life oh my post goodness. or like we're not even post covid but because right. of covid all of a sudden it's like we've done this emotional psychological reset and thought wait a minute i'm getting off that what do you call that wheel thing the the, the, the wheel that rats run on yeah rat race or rat wheel or rat race. whatever <laughs> i'm getting off that and i'm going to take a little bit more time to consciously focus on important relationships, myself and my body and my mind. I really feel like that is going to be a a positive takeaway as we move away, you know, as we get out of COVID, which I don't know that we're, we're out yet, but we're definitely Mm. making strides. But that is for me, that's one of the things like just, Focusing in on being conscious and present and emotionally invested in whatever I take on. Yeah. No yeah. more, no more just white noise. No more uh, white noise. None of that. Yeah. Like just background noise taking over and, and hogging my life. No. So totally, totally. So today yeah. we're talking about ADHD and learning disabilities as it relates to ACEs. So uh Give us a, a quick definition of those and and what we can look for in that. Okay, so we're going to talk about ADHD, which stands for 
attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then it, there's also the ADD. So that's attention deficit disorder. And they're, they're the same thing. One has a hyperactivity component to it, often seen in children, particularly boys, which is why it's much more, there's a higher diagnosis of ADHD with, with males than females. But ADD often does occur in girls as well or women as well. It just presents a little bit differently, sometimes without that hyperactivity component and sometimes with it. Mm. And then there's learning differences. We used to refer to as learning disabilities, but I personally embrace learning differences because I myself was diagnosed with dyslexia Mm. in college. And I struggled with reading so profoundly as a young child. I didn't really learn how to read. Like it didn't all come together for me until about fourth grade. Mm. I knew I knew knew things and I didn't necessarily think I wasn't smart, but I just had a very conscious awareness that I learned and saw the world very differently than a lot of my peers and other people. So... Learning differences are things like auditory processing. So that means, you know, the information coming in feels different than what somebody's actually saying to you. Mm-hmm. There's, there is a myriad of learning disabilities and differences that, are, that can be identified and assessed for. I don't think they're all super important if we work with a strength-based you know, relational education process with all kids, then we pull for their way of learning. But like we talked about in another episode, depression and anxiety being best friends, Mm -hmm. often learning differences and ADHD go hand in hand. So they often go together. And then that can be really confusing for children as well as their parents and their teachers because it all feels so big and unmanageable. Mm, yeah, this is, I mean, this is near and dear to my heart because my, my younger brother uh, was diagnosed with central auditory processing. Okay. And so that's just been, it's been a learning curve for all of us, but, I, but also looking back, it's exercised some muscles within myself that I'm finding are really helpful. Yeah. Just for communication, for being patient with how different people learn differently. Uh, so, and learning how to rephrase and restructure and try to get at it at another angle. And um, so, is yeah, as as um, difficult as it has been trying to adapt to to that and see how to help him function in in society. It's also been yeah, just very fulfilling as well. Yeah. To embrace that. So what does that look like? Can you give us an example of something that Hmm. in an engagement between the two of you, just so people understand what it feels like and looks like in real life? Yeah. So, uh, man, um, recently he's he's really started to take his own in, in, in regards to, I want to do this. How do I do this? Like I want, here's, I have a goal and I want to make this happen how do i make this happen so cooking i'm really big into cooking and he used to like where's the frozen pizza like i don't want to cook and then slowly i've been involving him 
in like, can you, uh, I need you to stir the, stir the rice or something like that. And then teaching him how to make a quesadilla or something like that. Okay. Yeah, last, last night, I taught him how to hold a knife and how to, how to, how to do push cuts uh, and, okay. and just slowly. And then I know that if, if people are involved, if there's relationship, if there's joking around, if, if he gets to be with me or just with people, and you also, and also, if you create a consistent pattern that he can incorporate into his routine, then it becomes fun for him and something that he yeah. desires to do instead of being like, oh, okay, I got to do this thing again. So, yeah. like, just being a lot more patient and just like little things, little things. Don't make him do an entire meal. Just do like, hey, can you cut this vegetable up for me? Right. And then eventually he takes his own interest into what he's doing. So Nice. Man, that's a great example. And it makes, it sparks so many things for me in terms of just recognizing that people learn differently mm -hmm. and we don't have to make it a disability or a, a bad thing. It's all about relating so it's about the relationship we all know we need to slow down have conversations do things step by step because consistency and predictability create what stability there it is no matter what no matter how you learn or how your brain operates those things relationship combined with consistency, predictability, equals stability, mm -hmm. we're, pe all people can relate to each other. And so we just need to be aware that, you know, we get all wound up in these techniques of behavior management, you know, oh my goodness, there's only one way to do everything. And, and it's, we're dynamic and social human beings. We need to do a lot more, you know, adjusting on the fly. That's what our brains are really great at mm -hmm. is making those adjustments as necessary. And interestingly enough, that's the one thing that artificial intelligence struggles with. The unprogrammable ability to adjust on the fly. Hmm. which is just a very important piece of humanity. And they haven't been able to really hone in on that yet. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest barriers in AI is that ability to make a quick adjustment hmm. that's related to a social relationship so or even a social movement. It, I mean, you know, the brain is so complex and no two brains are alike. And some brains are very, very different, and they can be highly compromised. I don't want to minimize the level of compromise the brain can be for a variety of reasons. But they, we also, the brain is very dynamic in that if we use the tools and strategies that we can access in certain ways through education, school systems, mental health. Really, the brain can rewire. Yeah. And the brain does rewire. They did a they did some a study on seizure disorders with children. 
And literally this one child, she was about seven, would seize almost constantly, like Mm. without pause. And ultimately they removed a quarter of her brain, 25% of her brain. And within, I want to say, I can't remember the exact research, but within a year, she was literally talking again and walking. Whoa. And, you know, actually much more typical as a seven-year-old with a 25% of her brain removed than she was able to access with the brain that activated with seizures, you know, Hmm. because she was completely debilitated by the seizures. So now that we don't have those kinds of results in adults when we do that because the brain becomes less, you know, there's less plasticity. However, the brain is able to change all the time. And we know we can change neural networks by consistency, predictability, (laughs) (laughs) because it's that just... It's like walking on a path in the forest, you know. If you mm-hmm. walk through the prairie, like you walk through a meadow enough times, you're gonna you're gonna build a path, and or destroy the meadow and create a path. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's a good visual. Yeah, ADHD comes alongside lots of different things, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways, it's activated because of the other thing. So I don't know if your brother struggles with ADHD as well. That I'm not, I, I'm obviously not uh, qualified to diagnose, but it, it yeah. does not appear so. He seems to be okay. very hyper-focused on things Okay. to, to the point okay. of a bit obsessive and like gets really frustrated when he's knocked out of his yeah. thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which could be a sign of ADD, which is without the hyperactivity kind of, you know, we see ADHD and ADD in two sort of forms. There's the one where kids are bouncing off the walls, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're very hard to like hone in and get them to focus. And then they do things that are super irritating. It's kind of funny when we talk about it, but it is not funny to live with. Yeah. And I always say, like, this is the dinner table version of diagnosing ADHD, which is super inappropriate probably. But <laughs> but if somebody walks into a room and starts a dinner conversation that's kind of, you know that it's going to activate people at the table and mm. they're going to then create a fight or an argument or a disagreement or some sort of intensity. And then whether it's with them or with other people at the table, and then they sit back and they just kind of like chill and watch and are like, wow, I didn't know you guys were going to freak out like that. Mm. And then, so what's going on is they come in activated. They need, this is so amazing. They need their brain to release some dopamine to settle down. So when they can activate an event, their brain releases dopamine. They're like, huh, you know, they've got, it's almost like, you know, it's a, you know, they've got their hit off of a cigarette and calm down. And Mm. they're like, what's your problem? Like, why are you freaking out? You know, (laughs) they completely started it. Yeah. And you're in the, you know, you've jumped in the pig pen with them. Mm. 
And now they're completely relaxed and settled and you're still mad. And if that happens over and over again, it's like the backdoor version of of understanding a little bit of ADHD. Yeah. And that's why medications like Ritalin, which are highly, you know, questionable in terms of, you know, people have big feelings about whether medication for ADHD is a good idea or not. And, you know, people have to make that decision personally, but Ritalin does release dopamine. So it allows the brain to have that settling feeling. I'll give you an example of a child that I worked with at one point. He was about six at the time, maybe seven, and had a diagnosis of ADHD, but was not medicated, started medication for the first time. And his statement was, Oh my gosh, it's like the world slowed down. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Can you imagine the power of you've spent your whole life kind of like on a whirlwind, Mm -hmm. on a merry go round, and you don't know how or when to stop. And then all of a sudden, this one medication allows you to focus and settle down for a little bit at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm hmm. Now, that in and of itself, it's not a it's not a magic pill that fixes everything. Right. Because generally by the time somebody gets on to medication, they already have wired in several things that are that work for them but don't work for others mm-hmm. at school and at home mm-hmm. and in their lives. But Medication does have a role in this. We would never say to a child with type 1 diabetes, oh, just manage your insulin. It's fine. We're not going to give you any insulin to manage your your, disease. So we have to recognize that ADHD, if diagnosed properly and accurately, it is a neurological issue that can and that can be medicated. And it and then in my opinion falls into a similar category as you know diabetes and providing mm. insulin. Interesting. If the if the child is will you know it's like a waterfall, mm-hmm. you know then you have to have compliance with medication and sometimes kids aren't compliant they don't want to sure. take meds yeah or you know a variety of other things that happen. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult situation because children who struggle with ADHD do feel like they bounce off the walls. And they often, Mm. like I said, that's matched with other learning differences. One of those learning differences can be some alterations in their, I'm going to use a big word, proprioceptive awareness, which means, it's very simple what it means. It just sounds complicated. (laughs) It means their inability to sort of stop and go when it's appropriate. So think about when you're running and you have the ability to stop right before you hit the table. Well, kids with ADHD often don't have that much of that ability to be as precise. So they run into the table and then the glass of water tips over and then the books fall off. And then it becomes this huge behavior issue because you weren't paying attention and you cause this big ruckus in the living room. But really, it's 
ADHD and proprioceptive difficulties and putting those two things together. So we have to then learn how to manage both the environment for a child and, and keep it simple and clear and obvious where we stop and where we go. Mm-hmm. And practice things like put a piece of tape on the floor or put a piece of rope on the lawn and say, okay, run as fast as you can and stop before you get to it. Mm, okay. And you do that a hundred times and guess what we're doing? We're strengthening the proprioceptive awareness, the ability to understand our body in space. Yeah, okay. So, you know, and sometimes kids need to do that with a heavy backpack on Hmm. or carrying a a rock that's a little bit heavy appropriate for their size and age. But that also pulls down sort of the system. Oh, And it's helpful in telling the brain how we go and stop. And stop and go is a very important skill if you think about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Driving. <laughs> Driving. Wow. You know, we start with stop and go in our torso and our mm. big body. So think of a toddler who walks into the table and bumps their head. Yeah. Okay, their message don't walk into the table. In a in a compromised brain or body with proprioceptive mm-hmm. issues, they don't they don't make that, you know, that doesn't we need to help them. Mm-hmm. But as kids get to be 4, 5, 6 and they're able to run and jump and play and do all sorts of things, but they struggle with that body awareness, mm-hmm. we need to ground them. And so we ground them by weighing them down a little bit. It's why weighted blankets are such a big thing now. Yeah. If you have a little who, or even a big, I love a weighted blanket, you know, mm-hmm. it it's calming because it settles our system, our proprioceptive system that's highly activated and difficult to manage. Now I'm in my fifties. So like, I've learned to make a lot of accommodations. My brain has readjusted. Mm -hmm. I like a weighted blanket, but if I never had a weighted blanket again in my life, I'd be fine. Yeah. But for littles to get to start there is Mm -hmm. a good way to start that wiring. Mm -hmm. So they can know in my toolbox, go get my weighted blanket or my backpack or a rock. Mm. Hug a tree. It sounds so corny. But I have sent parents out with their children and have the kids ground their feet and hug a tree because trees actually have a lot of energy, but it's a very silent, quiet hmm. energy. And, you know, it doesn't move. Right. So I say, you know, like, make yourself part of this tree. Hmm. And, it, and then that is a way to, like, bring it into themselves. That's so fascinating. It, it makes me think of a couple of different things. So I'm also a musician and there's a, there's a, there's a singing technique. If you're trying, if you're struggling to get to a particular note without straining a vocal coach, there's, there's this vocal to- coach that basically she gets on her hands and knees and she puts her, her hands on your feet and, and puts mm. pressure on the feet. So like you feel more grounded, so you feel more relaxed, and then you can open up and hit the note that you're wanting to hit. Wow. It also makes me think of this exercise that I do with some of my um, Enneagram coaching clients is 
when it comes to anger, especially with those that are having difficulty expressing it or, or feeling their own sense of power, empowerment, you go up against a wall and you just push as hard as you possibly can and you try to feel it and you try to force those emotions into the wall. And oh, then that oftentimes people think that's going to relieve that emotion. It, sometimes it does, but it oftentimes brings it more to the surface so that you can see it more clearly and deal with it and actually feel, you know, anger is an empowering emotion and I can actually yeah. tap into that and not avoid it. And, and, what it, and what is coming up from that? And we can deal with those things as they come up. That's just, that's oh, so wow, that's good. so interesting. I love, I love that sort of thing. The whole rock thing, yeah. I think I'm going to have to try to figure out how to use that in, yeah. in some you, of you other exercises. You might ask your brother, like, yeah. have, a, have a rock race with each other and see, and then ask him how he feels about it afterwards. I mean, it can work with a neurotypical brain, too, sure, as sure, a, sure, sure. you know, an exercise. But for an atypical brain... It can be a lifesaver. And if, for parents, it can be very helpful rather than, you know, I, I watch schools take recess away all the time. Oh. And I think, oh, my heavens, That's couldn't we just have a rock pile and let you like <laughs> run around with rocks? <laughs> because Let's, Yeah, shorten recess and just do it game. more efficiently, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Just, you know, we know children learn best by using their entire body. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us actually do. We just have the capacity to not use our body and learn when we're older. Mm -hmm. But we mostly do better when we learn things using all of our senses and our whole body. Right. So when are we going to start act? When are we going to start doing that? Yeah. You know, yeah. when are we going to start doing that instead of you know, sit down and do standardized testing? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm not. I don't know that anyone would give me heat for not being a standardized test <laughs> person, yeah. but I just find standardized tests to be the most ludicrous mm -hmm. things in the world and that we waste so much time and so much money on in terms of our ch and and so much anxiety for children yeah. which also falls over into parents, you mm -hmm. know. Or vice versa. It's so stressful for parents, right. and then it becomes an issue for kids. So ADHD is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, just a bad child or mm -hmm. a difficult child. They are literally hyper, which means more mm -hmm. active than necessary at certain times. Now, we also, as a culture in the United States... We don't honor activity as much as other cultures do in children. Hmm. There are a lot of cultures who allow children a lot more movement when they're younger than we do. You know, we're putting four-year-olds down at a at a chair in preschool right. and saying, let's start <laughs> to learn to write your letters. We know on a neurological mm. level, and this is a different show, but yeah. that... Children are primed to read a, between six and seven. Okay. And maybe eight, you know, somewhere in there. And sure, they can do a little decoding and memorizing and all that stuff mm -hmm. at, you know, five and a half, whatever. But what we do is we start trying to teach them to read at four but they don't typically read until they're six or seven. And by this time, they're like over it and don't love it yeah. at all. Yeah. 
It's kind of like saying, oh, if my one-year-old can walk at one, if I start trying to have my four-month-old walk, mm. they're gonna walk you know, sooner. Okay, have you ever met a four-month-old who walks? <laughs> not happening. It, right. They're not happening. Same with reading. It doesn't matter when you start. I mean, you should start reading to babies, little tiny babies, talking to babies, showing them pictures and things and describing them. But in terms of decoding words and sounding things out and understanding the how we read, we'll naturally click in if we do all those pre-reading things that are fun for littles. Mm and show them literature-rich environments where there's words on the walls and there's magnets on the refrigerator mm. of letters. Yeah. Earlier is not really better, and it often can be worse because who cares if you learn to read by the time you're seven or six if you hate reading and never pick up a book or yeah. want to read. Yeah. And if it takes exactly, it takes 20 hours to learn how to read. I used to I used to work for the Adult Literacy Council, oh, okay. so I would teach English as a second language. It takes 20 formal hours to learn how to read, whether you're an adult or a little. Huh. Pick the time. It's not happening before you're 6. Yeah. You can spend 800 hours and you're not learning yeah. to read fluently before you're 6, unless you're, you know, on the far far savant side of the spectrum sure. of you know genius but in yeah. the in the great big part of the bell mm -hmm. curve it's not happening yeah. so we shouldn't waste our time there we should be carrying rocks yeah. <laughs> so i think an important point to consider and to ask is I, there's nothing wrong with my brother like he his yeah. brain is just wired in a different direction, and that's beautiful. I mean, he never says an unkind word about anyone. Mm -hmm. He's always kind. He's always looking up for somebody else. And we need more people like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but how do we love those parts of that person and also acknowledge that they have a more difficult road ahead because the vast majority of society operates in this other particular direction and it's just going to be diff more difficult for them to follow on that. So how do we how do we help those people that are wired differently? Right. So that leads us right into resiliency and and recognizing that you're absolutely right in that there's nothing wrong with your brother. Really what's wrong is this rigid way that we view the world of neuronormative or, mm -hmm. but yeah, we do want more people like your brother who are empathetic and mm -hmm. kind. And and what we need to do is to find what, to build the world that would allow him an easier way and all all people right an easier way to navigate our world even though they do it differently mm -hmm. and that's a that's really comes down to a problem with us the normative right. group yeah. that really comes down to us learning how to start to shift and make changes in terms of how big the gap is that we allow people to to drive through mm -hmm. in 
our quote-unquote normative world. And so as we become more aware that, hey, you know what? Difference is great. Like difference Mm -hmm. and, and diversity is great. And we need to pull in and include more people with differences so we have a more creative, resilient world mm-hmm. and society that's where where we're growing and changing i do think that covid is going to support this i also believe that millennials are pushing us in this direction a lot mm-hmm. because of the awareness of differences and the loving acceptance of people's differences i mean that's that's shown in the research across the board around race lgbt communities difference in every aspect mm-hmm. which you know we still have biases but there there are things that are shifting and changing in that arena and so this is just another one of those places where society is going to shift and change as younger generations grow up yeah because they have a different perspective of you know what it means to think and do things differently. They don't believe in, oh, you don't fit the you don't fit the box, so you're out. Right. Instead, they're much more flexible in molding the box for everyone. It's every generation is expanding their definition of normal or or typical Absolutely. or what is acceptable. Yes. And that's right. oh, that's that's very hope filled. <laughs> that yeah. makes me so happy too. And I think that speaks so much to leaving a life print. Yeah. Because in my lifetime, I will probably never see that come to full fruition, mm. even though I know that it's coming down the pike makes me so happy. Yeah. And I think more of us need to really think that when we do things, how we make our mark is by you know, putting seeds in the soil right now, but those plants aren't going to grow until, like, my example is Charlie, my granddaughter, you know, until she's my age. Mm. And so, and that's so, and that's okay. We need to expand our view of change that it doesn't necessarily have to happen while we're still alive on the planet. Change takes time and is hard. And, but we can all plant seeds along the way. And that's, that's our contribution to the future. Yeah. So, and that's highly resilient. That's our, you know, overcoming adversity. What do we do? We invest in mm-hmm. the future. This is delusional optimism. This is delusional optimism. Yes. Exactly. Yes. yes. Awesome. Yeah. Dr. B, would you mind giving us a few more practical takeaways for us as somewhat a neurotypical humans to help those who are more atypical find the path of least resistance to function in society. Sure. Okay. So practical takeaways. I always say that they start with the parents because parents are the primary advocates for their children and particularly the ones dealing on the front line when atypical behaviors begin to show up. Okay. So they're the they're the primary advocates. So getting a diagnosis, getting interventions on board early are very important because prevention is the best intervention. Yeah. So early early diagnosis and then support is important. Now Also, being a critical observer and advocate for children and making sure that the supports that are 
shared are appropriate and fit into, you know, allowing that child to continue to grow, have a mm-hmm. have positive self-esteem and feel good about themselves, that it's not punitive. Mm-hmm. And so those are two things right off the bat for the parent side. I think we need to ask more of schools in terms of movement and and a lot of schools are doing things like meditation, right. teaching, you know, starting to put meditation programs into into schools for right. very young littles is so powerful for all children, typical, atypical development. Mm-hmm. And then being open and having conversations with a person about their brain being different and seeing the world differently and acknowledging that and validating that, but not in a negative way, in a positive way, mm-hmm. is very empowering for somebody who feels like the world runs up against them all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so we want them to say, oh, and and I'll share myself, like I was diagnosed with dyslexia and now I say, oh my gosh, took me, you know, a really long time, mm. but I now call it my superpower yeah. because it it's given me so many gifts in so many ways. But growing up, I didn't have a name for it. I just knew it was different. Mm. And it did not work for me in school. Yeah. <laughs> and so thank goodness for my mom reading to me all the time. Yeah. And just, you know, and loving me sort of through some of that. But but now, you know, like being able to recognize that these things can be strengths in disguise. Mm-hmm. And then we really pull for those and support people. And we slow down, which we all need to do. Yeah. We all need to do that. And so really when we drive with relationships and we drive with needs, consistency, predictability equals stability, you know, that will give us so much information. Yeah. And it's a great place to to start and always fall back on mm-hmm. for both ourselves, if we're the parent or the teacher, but also for the student or the child or adult even, you yeah. know, if it's somebody yeah. else. So with that, Go out and leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life's stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at Truth Work Media. 
Truthwork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana, with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.